We're having a lot of conversations around people that have experienced this space and want to help friends and family because we all know someone who's hurting. We all know someone who's having a hard time. And as more and more people are learning about psychedelics in a therapeutic kind of capacity, more people are having these conversations about, well, how do I help someone else? So when friends and family kind of came around and started asking me, well, you know, can you hold space for me? Because this is my first time or whatever it is, I'm uncomfortable. Can you be there for me? The instant answer was like, of course, I'll be there for you because I know it's no thing. Meaning I know you're going to do your work on your own. You're going to close your eyes. You're going to go into your space and you're really going to take this introspective ride. So if I could kind of hang out in the other room and just hold space for you and make sure that um, anything that you need in your external environment is catered to, then of course I'm going to do that. It's like, why not? So after a couple of sits with an individual, really the goal was to empower these folks, to empower them to do their own work without having to need something outside of their system. And then beyond that, maybe they could hold space for people too, if it's in their wheelhouse. So in this way, we're just kind of, uh, we're, we're empowering one another to help one another. And that's a beautiful thing. And I think that's kind of why we're here for in this conversation together. Our paths crossed previously in ceremony. And um, I guess you had some questions about holding space on your own. Tell me why even we're talking today. Um, okay, so recently, I had a breakthrough when I was sitting with medicine where it was no longer about cleaning things out. I was being shown to like step into the space to be able to be there for the world mm -hmm. in this way. And hard it to feels, deny that. Isn't yeah, it? it feels like I, it's like a responsibility. It's a responsibility. Like I can't say no. I know I can do it. Right. <laughs> Before going to medicine, I have a lot of. Uh, ability to hold space for people. That's always call been... it what it is. Love, love, <laughs> love, love, love and share. compassion. Yeah, and and empathy and acceptance. What I've experienced in holding space for others was that there are two ways to do it. There's one way to do it outside of the room, so to speak. So the person, just like you and I, have experienced kind of working with psilocybin on our own, nobody external to us, right? We just kind of go into our space, close eyes, and follow the protocols, basically, that are kind of there for us to keep everything safe and on the rails, All right? So what, why do they need us, really? Well, a lot of times, the first time around for someone, there's a lot of unknown, right? There's a lot of fear. They don't know. They don't know how they're going to respond. They don't know what the space feels like. They just want kind of they want the assurance that there's somebody there that if they need something, they can kind of call out and someone's going to be there to address their external environment for that period of time. And after we demystify that, let's say the first time around, once that individual has the comfort and confidence knowing that, hey, everything kind of happened internally, I didn't really need anyone external to me, then they have the confidence to, let's say, possibly do the work on their own. But for that very first time, what's important is that... Um, we show up for people just to literally hold their external space. And that doesn't take much. In fact, it takes very little. It's kind of the less is more approach, meaning we don't want to influence their journey. And we know that the power of suggestion is very real, especially when somebody's going kind of, you know, into this kind of higher awareness. They're very open, right? They're so open and we're holding space for them externally so they can continue to foster that openness because they know that, hey, there's someone out there that if I need some water, if I need some tissues, I could just call out to my friend, 
they'll bring it to me. So it helps them tune out that external environment and really sink inward. And so now they don't have to think about it and they don't have to interrupt their journey to get up and get anything because they know they have a hand. So now they're willing to open up, right? They're basically saying, okay, I don't have to worry about the external environment. Now I'm just going to close my eyes. I'm going to look inward and I can do that because I know the outside world is safe for me for this period of time. And so they sink inward. And what happens is they really open up, right? They're really kind of trying to go deep. They're trying to address their intention. And now they're really open. So in this state of openness, it's very uh, important that we don't influence their space with our stuff. And our stuff could be subtle. It could be energetic. To the degree that I haven't done my own internal work, I'm still holding, you know, and if I'm still holding, it's going to come out. It's going to come out in dialogue. It's going to come out energetically. It's going to creep beyond this form because we know the human form is 98% space, right? So we know that nothing's really kind of, you know, stuck inside of it. Everything's flowing around. And in this way, we can pass our energy over. We can pass our words over. And the most kind of even the most well-intentioned word could be interpreted a different way by an individual, especially when they're so open and it kind of influences their journey and takes them somewhere that perhaps maybe, you know, they weren't ready to go. Even wanting healing for someone else is an influence because it's solidifying the kind of dualist relationship where I am here, you are there, right? That's separation. And I want for you to heal. Now, that's my desire system, right? Maybe it's not your time to heal right now. Maybe today you're going to have, let's say, to undo some childhood trauma or some generational stuff that's been hanging around. Maybe it's not time to heal. But if I'm sitting there with my good intentions in my mind, focusing like, I just want you to heal. I want you to heal. I want you to heal. All I'm doing is I'm bringing my own stuff, my own desire system to the equation. I'm bringing that level of energy, which kind of polarizes us because now you're someone who needs healing and I'm someone who's supposed to be healing you. And it's creating this like doctor patient relationship. And in that polarity, there's no unity. There's no oneness. So we're pushing the person further away from healing just by our, again, good intention. So the idea is when we hold space, we let it all go. The title of the podcast is Getting Out of the Way. Getting Out of the Way is exactly that and exactly for this purpose. Not only for ourselves and others, but to just kind of completely get our stuff out of the way so we don't influence their space. That's really what it's about. That's what holding space is, especially when you're doing it on the outside of the room. So the individual is, you know, in their bedroom. We make sure that they have all their little accoutrements next to them, some water, some tissues, an eye mask, maybe like a hand towel and a bucket just in case, right? Just in case a purge comes up or something like that. That's all they really need in their space. And once they start off on their journey and they kind of are ready to go lay down and relax, we know that their room's already been prepared for them. They're going to lay down. They're going to close their eyes. They've been prepped beforehand. And we can talk about that also. But I leave the room, I close the door, I let them know that I'm within earshot of them. And every 45 minutes or an hour or so, I'm just going to knock on the door gently, open the door, check on them, make sure they don't need anything and step right back out. That's the cleanest way to do it. And when I'm on the other side of the door, I'm also kind of mindful about what um, I am doing, meaning I won't be necessarily surfing social media. I won't be doing anything that lowers my vibe in being able to hold space for them. So maybe, you know, we'll read a good book. Maybe we'll do some meditation, some stretching, whatever it is. It's a, it's a period of time, four or five hours. 
So that's really it. Holding space is so simple. Holding space is getting out of the way to make sure that we don't influence their experience. And even if they call us into the room, what's important is that we know that in that interaction, if there's dialogue happening, even if the person has a question, the most important thing for us to do is not to influence it. So to not influence it, we have to be a little sensitive. We have to kind of point people back inward. So if they ask a question about like, oh, I'm experiencing this or I'm seeing this or what does that mean? Well, what does it mean to you? Look inside. Just breathe. Close your eyes. The answers are there. We always kind of return them back to themselves, not to create an illusion that I have anything for you or that I'm going to answer your question. We'll do the talking afterwards. In the integration process, that's when the dialogue will happen where we'll really unpack your experience. But right now, we need to make sure you have the cleanest experience possible that's not influenced by any outside factors. And so a good guide just knows how to get out of the way. That's really important. There's a level two to it. So level two is basically being in the room with them. Mm -hmm. Now, I wouldn't, in the beginning, in my process over the years, like in the beginning, I would not go into the room unless I was called into the room, unless I was going to check on them. Because I realized that I still had my own stuff that I was working out, and I didn't want to bring that in there. And so, kind of years down the road in my process, working with ayahuasca, working with psilocybin, it was kind of explained to me in a way that there is another way to do it. And there is another way to, let's say, help the process along, but it requires, let's say, a desireless system. It requires a nobody. And if one can empty themselves out of all their stuff, of all their kind of egoic kind of attachments, their sense perception, all of it, if one can kind of bring that meditative quality to themselves and experience it within themselves, then that individual perhaps can lend that chill to another. So I can't give someone what I don't have. And I will give them what I do have. So it's really important that if I clear, once I'm down kind of further along in my process, further in, uh, the more I clear myself out, the more I recognize this, let's say, state of emptiness, then at a time, perhaps it's appropriate. And again, this is at the traveler's discretion, because we give them kind of all the options that are available, and then they choose a path that they feel is most conducive to their kind of inner work. I'll offer them the opportunity to basically have their ceremony, but I will kind of come in and I'll sit in the room and I'll just meditate. And I'll find my own kind of emptiness. I'll find my own chill and I'll lend that vibe to the room. I'm not telling anyone to do anything with it. I'm literally coming in there to bring a very specific vibratory quality to the space that might aid and assist their ability to have a clean journey. And that's kind of the second way to do it, to actually be present in the room with them. But if I'm going to do that, I have to make sure my hands are clean. I will obviously always allow the individual's intelligence to guide the way. I'm not saying my way is better than your way. I'm not saying I'm going to kind of superimpose my method onto the way you thought you were going to have your journey. I'm saying, no, these are just all the available tools at your disposal right now. And I'm just one of those tools. I'm just, let's say, a vibration. And if you want that vibration in the room, great. At any point in time, you want me to step out of the room? No problem. No hard feelings. I'm not you know, here to elicit any type of outcome. I'm not even here to want your healing. If you choose to heal, you will heal. I will just bring a vibration into the room that will allow whatever you want to happen to happen. I will help it along. And that's it, really. So there are these two kind of ways of doing it. 
Music is an important factor sometimes. If the individual has been properly coached on breathing, because it's critical, right? We know the breath is going to carry us through the experience, the experience of plant medicine and the experience of life at large, right? If we're not breathing, if we're getting caught up, we're going to have a hard time. We're going to start stressing. Our body's going to get tight, the whole nine yards. Not necessarily the most pleasant vibes. But if we are able to find our breath, if we come back to our breath, we know that we cool out, we calm down, everything relaxes, the chemistry that the brain throws out is completely different. The whole game changes when we're taking these nice deep breaths. So no matter what happens in our environment, so long as I'm breathing, I'm going to maintain my kind of space for myself, and I'll be better equipped to handle the outside world. So we definitely do a little kind of coaching around the breathing beforehand. We definitely do a little bit of a reminder about the temporary nature of everything. Everything comes and goes. Everything comes and goes. Some people feel like, oh, I'm going to get stuck in a moment, especially the first time around. I'm having this really profound experience. Oh, my gosh, what if I get stuck? What if I don't come back? What if I lose my mind? All these things. And then they start breeding, you know, this little kind of cyclical wheel of paranoia. And that's really tough to get out of. Sometimes we see this happening because we see that they've kind of, let's say, lost their breath or their you know, having some type of physical response where we see there's some uh, discomfort. So we always just kind of return the individual back to the breath, back to the breath. Always let's, let's, let's find our breath and we'll even breathe together. We'll take a nice deep breath just with them so they can kind of sync up with our breath. And then again, once they come back to the breath, everything relaxes. They're able to, let's say, allow the journey to progress. And the reason we're pointing at this again is beforehand, we do a little bit of coaching around the fact that everything's temporary. Every moment in the ceremony is temporary. Every moment in life is temporary. It comes and it goes. It shows up, it informs us, and it passes. The only thoughts that don't go are the ones we hold on to when we start clinging to a thought and we start clinging to it in the mind. Whatever we hold on to in the mind expands. And if I'm busy dealing with this kind of expanding thought in my mind, I'm not allowing the next element of the experience to come. So that's why we talk about surrender and why surrender is such a key word in this space. It's about letting it go, like letting it go, whatever it is, because it'll be replaced by something else. A good moment's going to go, a tough moment's going to go. You just find your breath and everything is going to pass. It's going to unfold the way it should. And this is what we remind them in ceremony. And the third thing is intention. And again, this is like the the prelude to the ceremony, because this is the conversation we have to have. We have to kind of work on the breath, the temporal nature of everything. And number three, which is kind of number one, which is the intention. It's like, why are you doing this in the first place? What do you want? Why are you here? Much like you were asked, right, on one of your earlier journeys, like, why are you here? What's going on? And that intention is very important to the ceremony. We know this from experience, you and I, to remind the individual how to use intention. Basically, within their ceremony, Sometimes it's very easy to get caught up in the beauty of it all. And we've seen some, you know, really beautiful, magical visions, and they're very captivating. And they're of a quality that I'm not experienced or used to seeing in my day-to-day life. So as soon as I'm seeing, let's say, this, you know, beautiful cascading kind of uh, geometric rainbow in front of me, it's very easy to get caught up and get lost in it and be like, wow, this is gorgeous. I've never seen anything like this before. But we remember our intention. We say, okay, you know what? This is a beautiful image, but I'm here to heal. And as soon as we remind ourselves of our intention, what happens is it kind of recalibrates the experience to, a, let's say, a more direct path to that intention. So those are the three kind of fundamental elements for the traveler. It's have your intention, 
You don't have to repeat it over and over in mind. And it doesn't have to be so specific where there's no room for some fluctuation, some change. It has to be general. It can't be too specific. So a proper intention should be general. You know, to use some examples, I want to heal. I want to open my heart. I want to undo some, uh, let's say, historic drama, whatever it is. It should be general enough where the higher intelligence that we're tapping into can navigate the car more appropriately, but towards a direction that, you know, we provide. And we work, you know, on the breathing. We generally will take some deep breaths with the individual beforehand. Some people don't even know what a deep breath is. A lot of the times we're walking around and we're breathing kind of very superficially with the top third of our lung. And it's almost like this almost quasi hyperventilation. We're not really kind of in the breath because we're too much in the mind thinking about everything that's going on. So it's very important beforehand to just kind of do a little coaching around the breathing and to help folks understand what a proper like three compartment breath is, how it feels, where it feels. We start drawing our breath, you know, our shoulders expand, then our rib cage expands, and then we feel our diaphragm kind of rise up a little. That's one proper inhale. And if we watch it, there's a little pause before the exhale happens. The exhale happens, we feel the diaphragm drop, the rib cage contracts a little bit, shoulders slope in. And again, before the lungs want to draw in the next breath, there's also a little bit of a pause. When we're paying attention to the breath, we see all this. When we're paying attention to the mind, it's completely neglected. Meanwhile, how important, right? The breath stops, the whole game ends. So the idea is we do a little coaching with the breath so that they know what a proper three-compartment breath is because it's going to be very important for them to keep breathing and maintain that connection to breath throughout the experience because it's not a place of the mind. It's a place of kind of receiving. And when we're receiving, we don't need to think, which means that it's a good time to get out of my head and just be with my breath. So the intention, the breathing, and just reminding that, hey, everything's going to pass. And when it comes to psilocybin specifically, it's like, you know, five hours is the arc of the experience. It's almost like clockwork all the time. At the fifth hour, everybody's wrapped up, done. There's no hangover, occasional like little headache. At that point, maybe some Tylenol, Advil, whatever the individual wants, which is rare. But ultimately, after five hours, it's a wrap. So we know it's going to pass. And we just have to remind folks of this. So that's kind of the, the pregame. The intention, the breath, and the temporary nature of it all. That's the pregame. The actual sit itself, again, we can kind of stay out of their space just to tend to their external environment to make sure they know they're safe and they have a friend. When, when we elevate our game, when we feel that we're clean and we're clear and we have this, let's say, vibe that we're willing to lend to the situation... We make that available to the individual. If they choose to have us in the room, great. If not, great. Uh, we touched on music for a second. Music's important sometimes. When the individual is having a proper, let's say, introspective experience, you'll know, you'll feel it, you'll see they're just calm and laying there in bed and just breathing and relaxed. There's no twisting, there's no turning, there's no shortness of breath. You really feel where they're at and you feel everything smooth. I don't need to do a thing. That's when I kind of just step away. I don't even ask them if they're okay. I don't even want them to hear my voice. And another type of experience is the individual, let's say, is short in the breath. They're twisting, they're turning. You see that there's a level of discomfort and it feels like friction. It feels like perhaps they're resisting something that's happening. And we've experienced this, you and I, right, individually. So we know what that looks like. We know what that feels like. 
And without being in the head, when we're just vibing, right, we just feel where they're at. We can really get a sense of where the individual is at in their experience to know if we need to lend anything else to the space. And at that point, it might be as subtle as me kind of sitting down in meditation, just bring that vibe. But maybe perhaps the moment uh, requires something a little more pronounced. So at that point, I'll say, is it okay for me to play some music? If I see the person's caught up and if I see and feel resistance and friction, I want to help them if they are willing. So I'll say, would you like some music? And if they say yes, I have one specific playlist, but ultimately there are a few that are kind of out there. One of them, which is cool, was uh, put out by Johns Hopkins. It's uh, classical music. And it's really great because um, music has a rhythm to it, has a cadence, it has a flow. And when the individual is caught up in a moment, they're not experiencing the flow because they're caught up in their mind. So they're in this kind of moment of friction, let's say. So what happens is as soon as we play the music for them, right away, they hear the music and they get caught in it for a moment, right? Because instead of looking inward, now all of a sudden there's an external cue getting their attention. They hook on to the music and the music's going from the first note to the last note, which means it's a progression. So what happens is when they sync up their hearing to this progression, they progress, they get into the flow, they get into the rhythm of it. So the music has a great way of kind of just snapping them out of that moment where they're caught in this cognitive kind of feedback loop. And now they just relax for a minute. They say, oh, what's that sound? They catch the sound and the music just carries them from the first note to the last. Next thing you know, they're on the next kind of stage of the journey. So it has a way of helping people kind of like nudge them back onto the path of surrender back on the path of the temporary nature of stuff as opposed to getting caught in this one moment so i'll play music if i feel that it's appropriate after i ask the individual so i have to feel it first if i feel it then i'll ask the question because again i hesitate in speaking in the space and then if they say yes boom i put it on and i remind them beforehand they say hey listen if we're playing music at any point you want the music to stop you say music stop you want me in the room let me know. You want me out of the room? Let me know. I'm not here. This is a judgment-free zone. I'm here for you, just holding space for you. Have it any which way you want. So I make sure that they don't have any qualms about telling me how they want the next kind of hour to unfold. So again, music at their request. And if I feel, again, the music has done its job, I'll shut it off. I really feel my way through it. And there's no textbook that I follow other than kind of these little guideposts that we're discussing right now, it's all about the moment. The, the data, all of the data is just contained in the moment. Me and you could come up with really cool kind of uh, hypothetical situations, and I'm happy to do that. But ultimately, it doesn't have the same flavor and feel as the actual moment that we both share with you know, the individual. And in that moment, we will know in, a, you know, in our chest, I'm pointing kind of at my heart, that's where we know, not necessarily the intellectual comprehension it's it's the feel of it all and again having played in this space as you have you understand what that's all about you know when it's this vibe that transcends the mind and that's what we're trying to tune into because our mind you know it'll lead us on a little wild goose chase every time especially when someone's having a tough journey the biggest thing is that we do this on our own because 
to do it on my own is to understand the experience. And I can't help anyone if I've never done what they're asking me, you know, to, to help them with. And that's why also sitting in the room is, is kind of, I would say, only to be done when the individual that's doing the sit, the guide, whatever word you want to put on it, is clear. You have to be clear without your own stuff. Even if you had a tough morning, if you're normally kind of clear and really kind of, you know, zoned in all the time, but you had a rough morning, you had a tough morning, make sure you clean that out before you get into the room. Whatever it takes, you know, whatever tools that you use to kind of, let's say, preemptively clean the system out, use those tools because we don't want to influence their experience at all because then that's our karma. Then that's like, that's my bad if I did that. And now that's something that I'm going to have to resolve here in me. And that's not necessarily the cleanest and most efficient way to play the game, so to speak. So, you know, guiding on the outside of the room, very practical, hands off, silent, really get out of the way. Guiding inside the room, same thing, silent, get out of the way. Just, uh, we just have to really make sure that, um, the vibration we bring into the room is harmonious to the kind of greater mission.